Hello, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good night, whatever the salutation may be. Welcome to the podcast, another episode here for your listening pleasure. I don't like when a few mess it up for everyone else. And this is, I think, the kind of theme across everything, man. Like with uh, whatever you look at it around you, which gives you some sense of pleasure, gives you some sense of joy, gives you some sense of happiness, gives you some sense of annoyance. Um, usually the stuff that really... Uh, the problem is the stuff that the few... It can work both ways, right? Like there are a few people who run with an idea and really sort of make it good for all of us. Uh, because I wouldn't trust... Uh, some of the like including myself um, you know I, I, yeah because they, just just things that I, I think you have to kind of make a distinction with what uh, tasks and what uh, responsibilities or what things um, for humanity to go beyond a certain thing need to be kind of assigned to certain people because I feel there's a sense now that everyone can do everything and it's total bullshit uh, because there are sort of the things where you need a lot of people to do it, like, you know, for instance, maintenance of cities or uh, roadworks or um, things, which, of course, very essential tasks. But again, it's a few designs uh, come up by a few people. It's a few machines, uh, also the ideas engineered and all those things executed on a larger scale through uh, machines and through factories or supply, whatever it's called. And then multiple groups of people can use them and the then the few kind of become more um and then of course the same thing like it's it's the few can fuck it up for many right like 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 certain things like i think there there was a certain set of things that were good for us like the, the like 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 the idea of communal gatherings right and i'm not talking about these stupid multiplex wedding halls which are just about serving really greasy food that gives you diarrhea but i'm talking about like the idea of kind of connecting with other human beings at various get-togethers if you want to call it religious or you want to call it ritualistic and then a few people kind of bullied others into believing a certain idea behind religion or ritualistic practices and then made it about how their particular rituals and or their particular philosophy within a religion or a religious context kind of is better than others and then you kind of turn one group against another. So I'm just fascinated because groups are something that I've always been a little scared of and a little averse um, to joining those kind of settings because I kind of think there's sort of a dynamic that forms. And yeah, if you talk to some people, like especially in the armed forces, they swear by groups, right? Especially look at the special forces, the people who I kind of connect with the most, you know, Delta Six, I'm talking about Navy SEALs, I'm talking about the Green Berets, I'm talking about, yeah, you know, the SAS, my boys, you know, just one of those. <laughs> yeah. The um, idea is that the brothers on the field, like they never abandon a brother. And I get it because I think when you're, like that. And I was talking to someone, I was talking to this this lady who does uh, chakra healing a year and a half back. And she was talking about how even men are feeling very disconnected from the idea of a tribe and the idea of brotherhood. And they have these groups now where they go celebrate this idea of this primal connect with men. And they do all sorts of things like a drum circle and they beat their chests and wank each other off. I don't know. I've heard. I, 
heard it's, and, and it's a very straight group, but they apparently wank each other off because it's a sign of camaraderie. And I don't know. And that's what she said. And um, the the thing is, when other groups form, whether it's in school or college, um, and then these groups kind of stay for life, right? Whether it's it's because, I don't know, because of nostalgia, because of no other friends being made or... I don't know what 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 keeps you together with your friends in school. I don't know because for me there are a few people, and I've always more and more actually. Um, I used to feel really kind of guilty if I didn't keep in touch with these old groups, uh, which I kind of formed friendships with when I was in school. I'd be like, oh man, I'm not a good friend. I'm I'm, I'm not making an effort. But but more and more now, it's kind of I make a conscious effort to not go to bigger groups and hang out with one person or two people at most because. I feel there is a structure uh, which a lot of people enjoy and there's also a lot of kind of barriers which some people enjoy because you can't really sort of get past a certain level of conversation in big group meetings, right? Especially when you meet once or twice or three times a year or for birthdays or special occasions. There's sort of a set kind of script in place whether you like it or whether you know it or not even. Where you kind of ask how you're doing, how's work, how's the kids, how's the family, are you are you dating anyone, are you getting laid, and it's it it I hate this word, but it kind of reverts to what that group uh, looked like uh, when it was formed or when that sort of group was last kind of uh, looked at. Like you kind of have this one friend who's like the group leader, one girl or guy, and then you have one person who's kind of like taking the hit for everyone, one person who loves planning for everyone, one person who's kind of always fucking up but one person's always succeeding and this is just very broad brush strokes but i'm just getting a sense of where i'm going with this and i i really don't enjoy it because you kind of when you do make the effort about feeling guilty you go and then you realize very quickly you're like oh my god now i know i don't fucking go make an effort and and now of course you don't even have to go on uh, in person you can just go to these whatsapp groups that are formed in these groups uh, through, for these groups and it's the same kind of thing playing out it's the same story playing out uh, through the messages right like it's highlights it's this this one person who's done this thing and everyone says oh you're an amazing person you're such a good person you're for what you're doing for humanity and I feel yeah it's it's just annoying I, I don't even think I have a another more profound word for it because I don't think it needs a profound word it's just fucking annoying and I just uh, was never a person and and of course you have people in teams and companies and i think there is a certain bond in certain groups that are really really fantastic i think lot i, I meet some people who've gone to boarding school who found these bond who formed these bonds uh, people in the army the navy the air force or whichever other branch of the military and um yeah i don't know where it's formed or what under what circumstances but um yeah, there, 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 there is some connections which are really, really um, amazing to see and they kind of truly last uh, beyond the changes that these people go and they don't kind of confine the person to a, that particular version of what they were, but they kind of get past all these things, these stages in life and they tend to have a much more deeper connection that kind of uh, stands the test of time and I think that's pretty fantastic and um, those are the kind of groups which I think are healthy but the other groups I think are just I don't know I think they, they don't work for me but um, 
Yeah, it's and that, that's that's the, that's the weird thing in 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 these in these bigger situations when we kind of uh look at these social structures and you look at how people kind of function. It's but I was just thinking that they they have this thing now they want to they want to find the super ultra rich uh and apparently 5 or 6% of the tax on the super ultra rich can kind of alleviate uh 2 billion people from poverty and I think fair enough right because it's a lot of money and uh the entire system the economic system is geared against the poor and it's making disparity worse and I'm not an economist I don't pretend to understand how the systemic sort of uh movements fluctuate but what i what i do get is that there are certain people who excel at certain tasks at certain um functions and i think we need to celebrate is not not a right word but maybe we need to sort of acknowledge that and not make that a point of contention saying they got it because of other reasons but just appreciate the fact that if we didn't have those people we probably end up with really shitty things because as a result of kind of making things equal or trying to make opportunities more level we're kind of taking away these really really important roles from the really uh from the people who really deserve them and making the kind of mediocre uh acceptable and as a result having lots of progress set back and having a lot of key essential things that we need for safety for progress for for well for just evolution and development being compromised in this so-called attempt at leveling the playing field and i think that's fucked up so anyway i had no clue uh where i wanted to take this but clearly there was something that needed to come out like a thorn that you didn't know was in your foot hey eh? yeah And yeah, and of course, in religion as well, you have a, you have some people who are doing a lot of good work, and then their work is taken and used against them, and it's said, oh, they're brainwashing, they're doing all these things, and then you have people who are using these communal brainwashing techniques to kind of plant these seeds of hate, these seeds of doubt, these seeds of anger, resentment towards others. So yeah, again, a few can do a lot of good for. the masses but the few uh, can also kind of fuck it up at the same time so there's the moral of the story is uh yeah whatever's done is undone and whatever's undone should stay that way anyway let's move on to the conversation coming up and that's with uh professor david vos he's a professor at the institute for economic economic social and economic research uh part of the group called the uh religious studies project i hope i got that right and yeah a sociologist is trying to understand the phenomena of people dropping out and not subscribing to modern day religion and we talk about a lot of things of the the the, the, the around religion right and it's one of those things where we don't go at each other's throats because we're having a mature conversation where i'm trying to understand i'm trying to listen trying to make sense of where it was where it began the purpose of religion the idea behind how these stories are passed on the reasons for these stories and how religion in today's context can handle some of the social pressures we're feeling as individuals as groups 
and where we are headed uh, with the present structures of religion and how they can help us navigate a world full of technology and virtual reality and online communities and more and more disillusionment with um, a sense of reality and how there's a growing sense of loneliness there's a growing sense of despair and where does religion and modern religion fit in and can we or will we see new religions or new forms of orders which create a sense of community coming up uh, in the future well i had a great chat with professor david vos and i'm sure you'll enjoy listening to the two of us mainly him talking and me interrupting so i um, yeah i encourage you since you made it this far just a few more seconds to the conversation and as always uh, i appreciate you my friend for tuning in week in week out to this podcast uh, till next episode goodbye god bless take care of yourselves cheers David Vos, thank you so much for joining me. It is a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Thank you very much. I'm delighted to be here. Uh, you know, it's it's um, as I told you before we recorded. I was kind of had this longing for the UK, and I think the accent was one of it. I wanted to get the English accent, and I went to Swansea and came back with an English accent. People are like, I think you need to get your geography right because the Welsh <laughs> accent. <laughs> yes. But, well, you might have done well to uh, to do that, but I and I love Wales as well. It's a, a wonderful place. In fact, uh, I spent a couple of my own years of schooling in Wales. Ah, lovely. No, it's you know, speaking of Wales, uh, I don't really, and as you mentioned, clearly distinguish between religious studies and sociology and social sciences. But you know, when you read of the Druids and you read of these ancient groups and you read of people who were agnostic and the welsh do feature in then and also the 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 a lot of the gauls and those kind of groups which earlier were tribes which eventually formed certain nations that as we mm-hmm. call them today is france mm-hmm. and germany and uh, ireland scotland but um from a point of social development and social evolution uh can we look at the word religion and maybe in that context can you tell me what the purpose i wouldn't say purpose what is the meaning of a religion from that context yes i i think it's perfectly reasonable to ask about the functions of religion that would be the sort of term uh, sociologists might use yeah. and it clearly has a number of functions one is to try to give meaning to people's lives to explain where we came from uh but there's also a strong uh an important function in social cohesion in mm-hmm. holding the community together uh, and indeed in imposing a kind of authority or discipline so uh, to that extent religion has always served as a kind of traditional force which is very interesting because when you now look at certain uh, sites being discovered right whether it's in turkey whether it's in spain there are a lot of these um what what's the word i don't uh, these 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 huge stone circles or these mm, monoliths yeah, mon- which yes. represent certain things which that you just mentioned which is these sites that people would gather around for mm-hmm. a certain reason uh, be mm-hmm. it um 
you know, seasonal changes to mark seasonal changes or to, mm-hmm. to mark certain passages of time in a person's life or in a community's life. So yeah. we had these so-called ancient temples for lack mm-hmm. of a better word. And now we have the modern day temples, which are rep or rather seeming to play a similar function. Uh, but clearly the human um, awareness of the world around us has gone a lot, has grown since then, right? So how has religion in that sense kept um, its role still relevant in us, in in, in human life? Yes. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because when you have these rituals, the ostensible purpose is to worship gods or to make sacrifices to the gods or higher powers mm-hmm. uh, but in many ways the social function is different it's to bring people together it's to give them a sense of what they should be doing and it's to organize the community in a way that will help it to sustain itself um, and of course it it gives people a sense of connection that defines them as a group and perhaps draws boundaries between them and other groups. Mm-hmm. So you could argue that some of the supernatural functions of religion have tended to fade. That is, we're no longer quite so otherworldly mm. uh, or our orientation is less to the the gods than it used to be uh, but religion does still serve those traditional functions of bringing people together of defining them as a group and in giving them a sense that uh, they're part of this big community and there is a certain benevolent nature to that thought right that we are going to take care of our flock in some sense, or we have a cultural context that, or a geographical context that a group of people uh, can identify with as a result being a part of a certain religion. But Mm. uh, that clearly has changed because people earlier who were say born in Jerusalem would spend their entire life and their children would spend their entire life in that area, or people born in a certain Southern region in India would do the same because that's Mm. what life was. But now with lines blurring and you know people traveling the world um you i'm bringing my cultural context say to england or you are bringing it to india it's happening constantly multiple times even in a week sometimes or in a month mm-hmm. right yep. so when you have that and you have religions which were initially created in these specific regions and they remained in those specific regions and in a way religion has also become globalized in that that sense um, and scaled up to accommodate millions, if not billions in some cases, right? So what mm-hmm. happens and what has happened as a result? It, it, it is difficult, and this is where we get into difficult weighing up of the strengths and weaknesses or pros and cons of religion. Mm-hmm. On the one hand, it certainly, uh, in whatever form it takes, has pushed people towards benevolence, looking after the disadvantaged, uh, instilling some moral sense. Uh, It's also, of course, produced some of the greatest art that Mm. uh, 
humankind has has produced. I mean, if you think about the temples in Tamil Nadu, for example, these are magnificent creations that are really unsurpassed as mm -hmm. human achievements. And it's difficult to think of uh, modern people making the kinds of investments that ancient people must have made to create the uh, sort of uh, artifacts that we now see as uh, historical legacies of, of the great religions. Uh, that said, as you say, our societies have now become much more massive, much more diverse. Uh, there's a great deal of uh, social mobility. And of course, uh, there are all kinds of activities that are non-religious that we're engaged in. And in those circumstances, uh, religion can sometimes serve as a divisive force in keeping mm. people apart. And that's something which we see a lot more of, right? Because um, it, it seems like the the aspect of religion which was the least favorable, which is the ability of a few to control many through various means, whether it's through ideology, whether it's through um, a sense of fear of God or a sense of fear of the afterlife and a sense of rejection from the 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 good and uh, tendency towards evil. All these kind of themes reappear in, in quite a few religions, right? Mm -hmm. And even if you then say take something like Buddhism or Hinduism, which are more uh, philosophies and guiding principles to live a better life in this particular realm, as opposed to afterlife or any of that, that's also taken out of context. So the point I'm trying to understand is it looks like there are certain aspects which weren't the most favorable parts of religion being now applied for v different reasons. And the art aspect you talk about, right, which is mm -hmm. um, a beautiful expression of what humans thought of their a medium to get to God, right? Mm. Whether it's the cathedrals or the temples or the pyramids and all these various beautiful uh, representations of human achievement. And now it feels, and many of them in some case were scientific, right? When they looked at the meridians mm. or the way the sun would hit them, etc., cetera, et cetera. I, I, but now it almost feels like science, art, religion are three very distinct things that can never see eye to eye. And mm. that is something which are maybe for me in my head is that does that tie in with this negative force that is prevalent in religion now? Mm. Well, it, in a sense, it's uh, a negative force for religion itself. So mm. one of the things that sociologists of religion, that is to say social scientists who study religion, talk about a lot is the notion of differentiation, by which they mean the way that religion comes to be separated from other spheres of life. Mm. So if we go back thousands of years, religion was there at the very beginning of social organization. Uh, religion was very tied into the leadership of the group. It permeated uh, everything that you did, whether it was art, education, um, the economy, uh, all forms of activity uh, were in one way or another uh, wrapped up with religion. Certainly medicine and, and health were uh, mm -hmm. very uh, bound up with, with religion. 
that over time, and particularly as we enter the modern era, has changed so that all of those separate areas of activity, medicine, education, law, economy, and so on, have become separated and distinct areas of activity that are no longer tied to religion in the way that they were. And mm -hmm. in those circumstances, religion becomes, if you like, free-floating disconnected from these other realms and that means that in a sense it's much easier to escape because people no longer have to uh acknowledge the force of religion in order to go about their day-to-day -day activities mm -hmm. uh, so that that in a sense serves to erode the foundations of religious power on the other hand uh, it does mean that people can adopt a religious view and seek to apply it, perhaps in ways that would not have uh, originally been intended by by anyone. I, I, I suppose I should be careful about words like intention or purpose, because mm -hmm. I think often uh, it, it's important to bear in mind that nobody thousands of years sat down and sort of thought through exactly what the function of religion was going to be. It just mm. was. Uh, it was something that evolved naturally as societies evolved. Um, and we can now look back and say, oh, yes, well, religion helped or it didn't help in ways X, Y, and Z. Um, but that, uh, if you like, our own analysis of the situation as opposed to some uh, powerful personality sitting in the middle of a spider's web saying, ah, I'm going to control people by using this thing, religion. Yeah, clearly, I don't think that 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 was, you know, it wasn't like one man telling his son, you will take the secret mm -hmm. forward and control humanity. <laughs> but um, when you look back, and you know, I, I'm, I'm not too familiar with many ancient sort of texts or ancient wisdom, which is hidden there. But, you know, closer to home, there are, there are talks of the Upanishads or the Vedas and um, mm -hmm. even Buddhist texts. And it seems mm -hmm. like those texts give, uh, capture what human experience and evolution and thought had reached at that point in time, right? Whether, mm -hmm. uh, yep. be it in, in calculations or in astronomy or in health and these things mm -hmm. that are captured and preserved, fortunately. And it seems that we have uh, achieved a lot as a species, but it seems like we've forgotten a lot of that. So if the purpose of those ancient texts were to remind us saying this is where you were at this point in time mm. so now technically we we should take forward from there and add on to that as opposed to using that text to say i am better than this other person right mm. yes well this is the great uh tug of war between traditional and progressive interpretations of scripture and doctrine so mm -hmm. uh the traditionalists want to uh, stick to these texts that in some cases are uh, centuries or even thousands of years old and uh, defend every 
uh, little jot and tittle as being the divinely inspired word. Mm. Um, but that, of course, becomes very difficult uh, when you're trying to apply some of these ideas in modern society. Where, as you say, we no longer are even capable of believing the same things or uh, behaving in the same ways. Um, the progressive uh, proponents of religious groups generally want to give a more metaphorical interpretation to these scriptures and to apply them to current conditions in ways that they see as appropriate. Uh, but then you get into these battles between the, uh, if you like, fundamentalists and the reformers. Mm. And that's very uh, prevalent in today's uh, current situation, right? When you look at religion as in the, the capital R, which is the cohesive uh, struct or institution rather, or a cohesive mm -hmm. effort to bring people together for some sense of connection to now the, the double capitalized R, which is these brands <laughs> mm -hmm. that people... Um, fight for, kill for, of course, it's been there for mm. in, in some shape or form. But now, um, you know, be it the Crusades or be it the yeah. Mughal invasions or mm -hmm. be it now the extremist, if, the, if that's the right word, Islam mm. or uh, reformist Islam or be it the Hindutva movement in India or be mm. it the, mm -hmm. the wave of Catholic uh, conversions or as you are uh, closer to home for you is the number of dropouts in the Church of England. Mm -hmm. um, and I, and I, just to comment on this, like when it comes to India, there was obviously people refer to India when it comes to it with the Hindu-Muslim tension, mm -hmm. which obviously has been there for thousands of years, uh, also kind of manifested during the independence when the British left and the form formation of India, Pakistan, Bangladesh. Uh, mm -hmm. What I don't get is... I mean, I do get it, but what I try to understand is how these waves, right? Like uh, the political parties using it. Um, it it's it, how how can people, or rather, why do people um, kind of get so blinded? If that's maybe a right word mm -hmm. to capture what happens, uh, because. In India, the religions are like anywhere in the world. You know, you have festivals, uh, you have superstition in some cases, and depending mm. on the, the strata of society, you have all these various things, which are tools of religion being used to control people, right? Whether it's to keep them impoverished, whether it's to keep them ignorant, whether it's to keep them in your voting base. Um, so, how do these things remain over time when information is so abundant, um, or can it be used? Okay to manipulate information. It's very important, I think, in this context to think of religion as serving somewhat the same role that ethnicity does, or indeed any social divide that's regarded as important. So mm. um, in this case, religion is serving as a form of social identity uh, that means people are saying, I belong to this group, you belong to that group, our different groups have different interests, and now there's potentially a conflict. Mm. I, the, the 
paradox that I think you're pointing to correctly is that we would like to think of religion as being deeply moral forces that have uh, benign uh, motivations behind them. And in those circumstances, you would hope that they would encourage people to cooperate rather than uh, come into conflict with each other. But uh, actually, people are perhaps more affected by this group defining function of religion than they are by uh, the underlying uh, benign ideology of uh, loving one's neighbor or being good to the poor or avoiding uh, bloodshed and mm. violence. So um, it, it, it's difficult in, in modern societies, particularly where we're so mixed together, to accommodate these kinds of differences you know one way or another we have to learn to live together what would in the past have been conflicts between tribes or groups and of course religion might in those cases have still underpinned conflict but at least it was between a group living in one area and a group perhaps uh next door now we find that it is literally a matter of neighbors who might come into conflict because of uh these definitions and uh, you know people can be defined in many different ways but religion has historically been uh, a very important way of defining our identity and you know the things i was talking to someone about this is this you know like say whether you read a buddhist um passage um, and of course, you know, there's this immediate need for knowledge thing. I know the texts of the Buddha better than you do and becomes an ego thing, right? Mm -hmm. But actually, if you look at it, it's literally, if you want to break it down to the most simplest form, it's like, look within, right? That's where the journey begins. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of these teachings are in some shape or form exist or may overlap, right? Mm -hmm. And it's telling a collective people, a collective of people how they individually can be better in this life in some way. Um, what, what, what is strange as a result is you then now see people who aren't able to empower themselves in some way, whether it's through being, being, being overwhelmed by the environment around them, and maybe they're caught up in the rat race, and maybe they, they, they just don't have the power to be um, living a life which they enjoy as a result being vulnerable right to whether it's mm -hmm. if you want to call it god men or whether it's priests or yeah. whether it's um, now the modern religions right whether it's the self-help people or whether it's these cults if you want to call it so mm -hmm. um, can you explain maybe the difference between how religion served its purpose and now how cults are coming in and getting also kind of people and then as a result using certain things that they think that they need like say self-help and empowerment to then brainwash them like is there anything common between mm -hmm. the two it it's always important for people to have security to feel uh 
secure both physically and indeed emotionally and mm -hmm. i think religion has tended to serve that purpose um particularly in times of hardship or where people have grown up uh in with a very precarious existence religion helps in various ways it gives them community and the community can be supportive it gives them hope for ultimate justice and uh the idea is that even if this life is hard the next life might be better mm. uh so uh, these are things that people consciously or unconsciously seek in religion and uh, the great world religions have uh developed to provide typically uh, when people start to become more autonomous to search independently for uh, a sense of meaning or to explain the world around them then uh they begin to go off in all kinds of different directions and the traditional community no longer has the same hold over them that it did in the past uh religious beliefs and ideas start to fragment and become much more diverse and in those circumstances new religious movements can spring up and sometimes they have very charismatic leaders so uh the leaders will draw in a whole group of disciples or followers uh who then uh attends to uh this new community and uh of course there are groups that we're familiar with that have grown to be um very large and in some cases powerful but i i think as well as searching for meaning people are also searching for community and mm. i even amongst uh those of us who are educated and modern uh we still have this kind of nostalgia for community i don't know if you ever feel nostalgic for village life possibly not uh mm -hmm. but uh, i certainly feel that impulse even though i live in a big city london I, I occasionally think oh you know wouldn't it be nice to live in this little community where everybody knows each other and looks after each other mm. and uh it would all be warm and friendly in a way that the big city isn't well actually i i suspect that if i went off and lived in a village again i would hate it and would want yeah. to escape yeah. <laughs> uh, no, but, when you just but, painted that picture it sounded very romantic you know like this <laughs> this this I, i've never felt that i've always grown up in a big city in india and you know we would meet the neighbors once in a while but we had the idea of family coming over and uh but for me i'll tell you where the religious uh attraction stops right because I love, uh, as you mentioned, those old Tamil Nadu temples, or there are certain other places which are just quiet and they are a place mm -hmm. where you can maybe go sit down and there's maybe a pond or maybe if you're, you have enough time to uh, you know, sit down and close your eyes and maybe meditate. But a lot of the other temples are just almost like these garish loud uh, mm. the person who gives more of a donation mm. will get better service and it's basically a religion of consumerism right you give you get mm. gold you get this and it's just so i can't handle that for me it's just not 
not that I am on a different path to God, but for me, I'd rather sit at home and and kind of practice the other values of religion, which is focusing on myself and be a better person and kind of thing. Because I feel it's a lot of those ceremonies, those rituals are just being done because it's a tick box and they can show others mm-hmm. that I did yeah. this, so I'm a better person than you and all my sins are washed away. And I'm sure that's there in other similar themes in other religions as well, right? Mm-hmm. Um, having a really, really big bar mitzvah or having like a huge church wedding doesn't make you or your relationship that much better, right? No. Um, well, mm, yeah. the, the psychologists of religion uh, often distinguish between what they call intrinsic and extrinsic functions of religions. Yeah. The, the intrinsic functions are those that you uh, mentioned of uh, inner... A uh, piece of contemplation of trying to uh, find some kind of connection to the sacred, if that's what you believe, and mm. I, it, it's very much a matter of um, your personal drive to uh, find something beyond yourself. Whereas the extrinsic functions are much more public or collective and those are benefits in terms of uh being seen being regarded as respectable uh or indeed as uh, a distinguished person so uh, it's a matter of seeking social approval and that's something that's yes absolutely these sorts of traditional forms uh, uh, are also well placed to to provide because people can display either their wealth or indeed their piety in public Mm. ways and you know that's the thing that bothers me is the is not it's not about um anyone's wealth it's about the it's about the noise that comes with it and i don't mean the physical noise alone it's the noise Mm. of ego right it's the noise of subservience it's the noise of um trying to get favors, which is there in all aspects of life. And it was supposedly, I mean, and this thing you mentioned about the community, and that's what sort of, I think my grandparents grew up in, right? There were seven families in the, in that particular village. And Mm. it it kind of, you look out for each other. I mean, now, of course, we can go into other aspects like the caste system and each caste and how that served a purpose. But before that, um, I just want to, you know, understand, because for me, like, what I really enjoyed, say, when I was in Swansea, was walking down to the local pub and meeting people there. And that's, in some sense, a sense of community, right? Because mm-hmm. you have conversations with people who you wouldn't typically with when you are a tourist and you visit these popular bars, because that's more of the, yeah. And I don't know if I'm trying to draw a paddle, but it's almost like the pubs are like the community and the nightclubs are like this new religion, right? It's, yes. Which is well, loud, garish, yeah. And, and that's a way in which I think uh modernization crowds out religion that is to say there is less and less space for religion as there are more and more ways that we can spend our time there are more things that we can uh do with our money and attention um there is competition from the secular world in all the aspects uh of life that religion used to serve so Mm. if you have problems now you will tend to go to a counselor rather than going along to a priest or a guru Um, if you 
it needs social support, the welfare system may help rather than needing to go along to the uh, temple or uh, have yeah. the religious community help. If we want to understand the world, then science is there and that displaces uh, traditional religious explanations of how the world works. So in all of these ways, and this comes back to the idea that I mentioned earlier about differentiation, uh, religion is no longer providing those services and theories in medicine and education and law and so on. We now have specialist doctors and teachers and lawyers, uh, and their professions are based in essentially non-religious structures that span all the different communities. And you know that's where pluralism or social diversity becomes important because we need laws that apply to everybody and not just one religious group. So as modern society develops, the space in which religion can operate becomes smaller and smaller. Uh, we have, in a sense, pushed it to the side uh, as we've developed our spheres of activity in ways that don't require a religious foundation. And you know what you're saying with the secular world kind of taking away a lot of what role religion played. I mean, someone being tortured during the Spanish Inquisition, if they heard that, they're like, wow, what a future, right? <laughs> uh, but it seems like with all this happening, what's left for religion to do is just become very, very unappetizing, right? Because it's what you eat, no pun intended there, but <laughs> it's what you wear. Like in India, it's like we had this huge controversy with hijabs and how Muslim mm -hmm. girls, uh, you know, had these protests that we're not going to wear it, then the court had to rule in. And then there's a, like, say, the, the, the ruling part, BJP, they're like, we're going to have a ban of beef. And it it's, it's kind of, it's, boil down to these three, four things that a lot of religions fight over, whether it's ISIS or whether it's the Catholic Church. So what having that in, in, in keeping that in mind, and on the other side of the spectrum, with all these things happening, uh, with with the power of knowledge, with the power of the internet, with the information being mm -hmm. disseminated at such a high rate, with secular institutions playing such a large role, why do we see so many people who feel disenfranchised, right? Yeah. Um, and sorry, just want to add the last point to mm -hmm. that is then we have these new groups, which uh, I forget the name. It's very prevalent now. Someone is talking about how a lot of boys go into these groups. Uh, I forget the name of this cult. Um, I don't know if you've heard of it. It's it's this one where boys who feel disenfranchised go and they are basically taught to hate women. Oh, yes, the incels. Incels, or... exactly, mm -hmm. yes. Yeah. So in both sides, the secular institution, which claimed to sal uh, give salvation um, or take away certain positives from religion and be positive in itself, and the other side you have the religion, traditional religion with now going to ISIS, etc. So on both ends, uh, we have these issues. So what is the future, if you think? Sorry, it was a loaded mm. question, but I just wanted to no. understand it myself before. Yes. Well, there's real tension, I think, between the positive and the negative aspects of religion. So, mm. I, I mean, first of all, to try to uh, paint the positive picture, 
uh, religious teachings generally emphasize benevolence, generosity, helping the poor, being good to uh, the people around you, loving your neighbor. Uh, often uh, religious people are, at least in uh, ideal situations, <laughs> self-sacrificing. <laughs> self that is to say, they uh, put others before themselves. So this is, if you like, the religious ideal of uh, the the way of serving uh, the higher powers that you believe in. Mm -hmm. uh, but as against that, uh, religions often end up being very divisive. So there are these forms of identity mm -hmm. uh, that draw sharp boundaries between us and them, between my yeah. group and your group. Uh, they're often reactionary forces. That is to say, they're so bound up in traditional ways of thinking and traditional forms of behavior uh, that they come down very hard on anybody who violates those norms. And I think yeah. we, we see examples of that in Iran today, for example, yeah. in the protests over uh, wearing the hijab. And um, the interesting thing, not to go off on a tangent, but it's not that most Iranian women do not want to wear the hijab, it's that they want to have the choice. They want yeah. to be able to say, it's up to me to decide what to wear and how to wear it. And they object to having what's literally a police force uh, that tells them what they can or can't do. So uh, in those circumstances, uh, religion clearly uh, serves as a, uh, a force that's not merely defending uh, tradition, but becomes positively oppressive uh, in the way it operates. And to contrast that, we have now the religion of the woke, <laughs> which, <laughs> if you want to call it a religion or a movement, mm -hmm. which in itself is causing a lot of pain for a lot of people, right? Because whether you like it or not, the, the use of the pronouns and like just mm -hmm. how you said, the choice, right? I would like the choice to use a word or not. But it seems like in that particular uh, in, in, in that in that particular context, if you aren't going to use a pronoun or which or call them by a pronoun, it's almost like the same thing that it's like forcing someone to wear a hijab, right? You're forcing someone mm -hmm. to do something that you see as right. Mm -hmm. Yes, well, we're probably drifting away from whatever expertise I could claim in religion into other areas. But but yes, I I agree. I mean, this is often uh, a, a natural move when we're thinking about the ideological power of mm. religion to then think about other similar ideologies in our societies that operate in somewhat the same way and i think yeah. often have the same dangers and as a result the reason i mentioned that is because we kind of always uh, at least a lot of us today point saying oh because of the church or because of conservative religion i'm like this and they say there is no god and you end up i mean you end up saying a lot of things as a reaction right mm -hmm. but clearly there is something missing in the modern solution as well as we 
just spoke about this, the secular institutions. I mean, with the rates of suicide going up, with the number of people who are depressed and anxious going for therapy and the number of people who are changing their gender because of not feeling like they belong. Mm. Uh, clearly, these are indications. And this is you more as a sociologist. I'm asking you this um, in your work specifically. You're, you're seeing a lot of people who are not subscribing to religion in the UK specifically. Mm. So maybe can you paint a picture of what you, you're, you're studying uh, and as a result, uh, why it's happening and maybe where it's leading? Mm. So I'm interested in the process of religious change. And to my mind, that is bound up with modernization. As I mentioned earlier, mm. I think there's something about the process of modernization uh, that creates problems for religion. And mm. here I'm quoting a, a well-known sociologist named Steve Bruce. So uh modernization brings with it a kind of prosperity and security uh pluralism in society which means that we're living with lots of different kinds of people who believe in different things and practice uh different religions uh higher education has uh given us a much better picture of the world and indeed of societies around the world and their own diversity and then finally we simply have uh, sort of personal freedom now to choose that we didn't have in the past. So all of these forces are tending to erode the hold of religion, and that's leading to a decline in identification with a religion, practice of religion, and indeed belief in uh, religious principles. Now, when uh, I say those sorts of things, or uh, I don't have to say them. Uh, people just see that happening. Uh, journalists will often ask me, uh, isn't this bad news for society? Does this mean that we're all going to become immoral and we'll start fighting in the streets because there's nothing to stop us? Yeah. And uh, one of the easier ways of answering the question is to point to societies that are actually very successful and pro-social places like Scandinavia, for example, mm -hmm. where uh, religious practice and belief have now fallen to very low levels, and yet by any standards they remain amongst the most prosperous and moral of societies. So uh, I'm, I'm not sure if this answers your question, but I think humans have a great capacity to find alternative ways of achieving social cohesion and and indeed a different basis for morality, which ultimately is founded in empathy or a feeling of sympathy for other human beings. That makes a lot of sense because it almost feels like it's going back to the basics, right? It's going back to the idea that gave that first human this thing to find a need to belong to a larger group. And on the principles of caring and protecting and guiding and and kind of facing life together. And that seems like that's where we've returned to if we kind of shed what religion is or rather what religion represents in today's version with version 2022 <laughs> but um yes. yeah it's an yes. update i think it's like an ios update <laughs> yes well I, you know i think many 
religions, particularly the the great world religions, have a kind of universalizing principle. So uh, in Islam, for example, there's the idea of the Ummah, the global Muslim community. And that's, in a sense, a, a wonderful idea that at its best gives people a sense of connection to others scattered all over the world. But on the other hand, it can also be uh, risky or dangerous to the extent that it draws a boundary between people in this enlarged community and those outside it. So I think what we're now hoping to find uh, as human beings is a true sense of universality that connects everyone. And it's that kind of sense that we need to to solve some of the great problems that are global, in particular climate change, for example. And why and how can we when, you know, whether it's the incel or whether it's, you know, ISIS and or the Al-Qaeda cells in the UK, and they're all saying, no, 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 you come in here, we have the answer. And then they turn out these people who just sort of hate a certain thing, which they're brainwashed to hate. Um, where does it all end? Because there seems to be somewhere it needs to go before it recalibrates itself, where we can work towards a cohesive uh, world, which we need because otherwise it's not like one person or one group can do it. Um, so when does it all recalibrate itself to a sense of empathy? Because also now, just to add to these layers, which I mentioned, there's also the sense of poverty or going through a cold winter or going through a you know an inflation or a recession so where does you know where so what what i don't know if it's an answer a question i need uh to ask you but just this kind of picture i'm painting which i'm trying to make sense of you know yes well i it, this i suppose is a very um sociological sort of answer but i i think that disadvantage does tend to push people to look for easy answers and often scapegoats. So mm. uh, if you have people who are living a somewhat precarious existence, who feel that uh, their own security is uh, threatened, uh, it's not too difficult for leaders to tell them that actually their problems uh, arise because there's this other group who believe different things who are getting in the way and uh, are in one way or another interfering with the the nat natural order and in those circumstances you get these conflicts between different religio ethnic groups uh, that can be very nasty so it yeah it, it seems like it's with everything right with those with 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 like the attacks on the U.S. Capitol to to suicide bombers to 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 all these things where it seems like there if you have a place where you can't take out your frustration or you don't have a if you don't have a sensible or a balanced way to to face life there is a group for you which will brainwash you into believing something <laughs> right uh, and so you've clearly uh seen in some way where this is going and you uh have, have something 
that you are working on, which you you, you said um, is a religion in itself. So what, what is that model that you are presenting or which is out there? Well, I, I should say that uh, I'm certainly not in the position of offering uh, an alternative religion. I'm uh, no kind of guru, and was, <laughs> uh, it, it'd probably be in trouble with my university if I uh, suggested that uh, I I had big answers to to these questions. Uh, it, it it seems to me, and this is in a sense the fascinating uh, outcome of modernization, that rather than finding uh, an alternative religion, people are able to live without religion. Now, this is something that is really a novelty in thousands of years of human history, where uh, uh, traditionally societies have been not only imbued, uh, but even dominated by uh, religious thought and religious leadership. So, uh, if we think of European societies <clears throat> all the way up until to the 19th century, there were wars of religion. Um, the uh, rulers were defined by which religion they happened to belong to. Society was often organized along religious lines and religion as I've said before, had its hand in all kinds of activities from uh, medicine through education, mm. law, economy, and, and so on. Now, all of that started to change a couple of hundred years ago. I mean, arguably, it started to change even earlier, but we could really begin seeing uh, the birth of a secular society from, if you like, the French Revolution onwards. And... Uh, this is a major turning point in human history uh, mm. that for better or worse, and you know, I don't want to uh, be making evaluations here, that's for other people and people will have uh, their own views about the extent to which it's good or bad, but for better or worse, uh, we are learning to live without religion. And that's a fascinating development in the history of our species. And as you mentioned, we now, uh, the future seems in fact, in some way quite positive, right? Because it's no longer about what you eat or where you live or what you wear, but it seems that we need to be bound and come together by bigger ideologies, which are climate change or saving um, our species from extinction by doing and living in better ways, which is in more sustainable ways, in more harmony with our environment. And um, what will that take? Uh, what will it take rather to get there? It will certainly take forms of cooperation that we're still trying to develop. Mm -hmm. This is the enormous problem. The world has by no means escaped the old uh, traditional motives of nationalism and uh, greed or selfishness. Uh, you still have groups now often defined as nation states mm. that are putting what they see as their interests above the interests even 
and of the planet itself and <laughs> yeah uh, we uh, of course still uh live with wars and strife that in many ways are deadlier than before because yeah. our technological capabilities have uh outstripped anything that was uh, known before so you know in in many ways the problems are even more acute and more critical but on the other hand uh we can at least hold out the hope that there are forms of cooperation that can be developed as people recognize that the problems are genuinely global and require global solutions i want to ask you something which is closer to home for you uh do you feel universities and academia in general have become in some way a new religion um i don't see that universities serve the functions uh of religion at least very successfully i suppose mm -hmm. they do provide a kind of community i mean mm -hmm. both uh for the people working within them who uh are a kind of collective but then you could make the same argument about almost any workplace for students you know it, it can sometimes be uh a, a similar experience um you're thrown together at least if you're living residentially uh on campus with this group of people sometimes people you didn't even uh know before yeah. or have anything much in in common with and uh and yet you do have this common purpose to study and to get a degree so that's i suppose an interesting aspect of it there's clearly nothing that involves the the supernatural um I'm not sure there's any real doctrine um involved at the the heart of university so i suppose i'm struggling a bit to uh make the connection but maybe you have an analogy in mind that i haven't quite got to i think you know the physical university i think you you, you made a valid point right there's it just it just happens to be like a corporate office or it's just a place where at that point in time there are a certain group of people who are there for similar reasons um but i'm talking if we go beyond the physical campus or a course or a degree or whatever it may be to the 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 realm of academia which is beyond students who just come for a year or two but it's the the discussions that fuel academic um research or academic funding or um these areas which in itself of course um not in the conventional sense of religion but it's in this group of people who are sort of the sharpest minds from uh mm -hmm. society having access to this knowledge which can empower the human race but in itself being limited by virtue of not in some cases being able to be free because they're bound by certain other interests which are the funding or whatever it may be so i'm just trying mm -hmm. to understand that is there a way for it to evolve into what we need which is this group that guides us through its knowledge and the power to find new ways of living more sustainably or living in a more harmonious way because by virtue so 
academia in itself, maybe can you can use the word science, which were always seen as the enemy of religion, can it become the new mm. way to guide us forward? Hmm, interesting. I I think there's one thing that you point to that certainly is relevant, and that's the idea of quest. So uh, traditionally, people thought of a religious quest, and indeed, um, it, within certain traditions, uh, you would have sadhus, for example, who would go off on a sort of personal quest of mm. discovery and enlightenment and um the, the idea of searching for knowledge and contributing to knowledge is absolutely at the heart of what universities are supposed to do and mm. that quest is both personal and collective and it should involve everyone from students through to senior professors so i think that is an important idea and uh, is a great ideal of higher education and research i i would um be drawn to the idea of uh senior academics as a kind of priestly caste who <laughs> are going to uh, help uh, in the development of this great new uh way of thought that will lead the modern world into uh enlightenment i think it's maybe uh an optimistic uh, point of view and uh, i would hesitate to endorse it too uh harshly for fear of being labeled uh, an egotist who was right. uh, <laughs> no i didn't mean uh, but, uh, put you in the call I, I just want to understand because it seems like these are the pools from where you would find the right people to guide us right well i i, I think again uh yes ideally you know these are amongst the best and the brightest people who are dedicated to the pursuit of knowledge rather than money or power um academics these days have very little of of those things but uh they are i think typically dedicated to working in their fields and of course you know they have all of the human foibles of <clears throat> ambition and yeah. greed and so on as anybody else but um the activities they're engaged in at their best i think are uh socially very positive no, I mean, there's some signs of encouragement, you know, it's it's nice uh, to hear um, from you, the work you do and the kind of where, and also just take stock of where we are as a society and as human beings, right? Because otherwise, it's so easy to get caught up in the noise and kind of feel neglected, also feel like you don't belong anywhere. And it's all spinning out of control. There's no hope and there's nothing. So uh, thank you so much for taking the time, uh, Professor, to uh, share and shed light on, uh, I think, one of the, as you said, one of the oldest institutions in, you know, as, that humans have sort of set up. Uh, really appreciate it. And if people want to follow uh, the work you've done or the work you continue to do, uh, where can they find you? Well, one of the advantages of having a relatively uncommon name like 
Vos, V-O-A-S, is that I'm easy to Google and uh, you can find uh, various videos and articles that I've written. And uh, if it, anyone is sufficiently deluded to think that this is a good use of their time, uh, then <laughs> of course I would be uh, delighted if they happen to read things that I've written. Fantastic. So I hope they come your way and good luck with all the work you continue to do. And uh, thanks for taking the time to talk to me today. That's very kind. It's been a great pleasure. Hey, thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you like what you heard, please do check out the other episodes on YouTube or wherever you get your podcast. And I would much appreciate it if you could like the video, share it with people who you think might enjoy it. And of course, do subscribe to the channel because it will help me and the podcast grow and reach more people just like you. So thanks again. Appreciate it.